This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new episode of Mercado and Manning. We're back in person today. Hello, Andrew Mercado. Hello, James. Uh, Great to be with you in person. Look, we've got a couple of interesting shows today. Two big dramas, one out of the UK, one out of Australia. We'll get to the Aussie one a little bit later. Interestingly, they both come with sort of disclaimers. The, f- the first thing you see on the screen, and we'll start off with Nolly, the um, story of the, the British soap star, um, Noel Gordon, created by Russell T Davies. Uh, look, I'll let you talk about this one first, but the disclaimer at the start of this one is based on a true story. Some characters and scenes have been invented. Almost seems a standard disclaimer now when they, when they film a, a true story. I have actually been quite obsessed with Nolly. I've watched it twice now and I have gone off and done a lot of research about what was going on there to check its historical accuracy. And it's actually pretty spot on. Um, sometimes I think those disclaimers are there because they're taking two or three people and smushing them into one person because it's just easier. Um, one of the most fascinating things about it is that Nolly is about the life of Noel Gordon, who is a person that I was vaguely aware of, but I had no idea until I saw this miniseries how iconic she was. And the show that they built for her, not only did she more or less invent daytime television for women in the UK, she was working as an executive behind the scenes, so maybe one of the first female TV executives, certainly in the UK. Um, she did sort of chat shows and then they decided to create this soap around her, her that they called Crossroads. And they made this soap five half hours a week, which is a lot, particularly for the UK, because Coronation Street only ever made two half hours at its peak, but they made it as a daytime show. And because of that, it got a reputation for being a cheap show and it never, ever really overcame that. But what blows me away is to discover that Crossroads, when they moved it to 6.30pm at night, sometimes was the highest rating show in the UK for the week. It would outrate Coronation Street. It would outrate Morecambe and Wise and the two Ronnies. And that's the part I had no idea about. But what happens is you've got this show that is being made fairly cheaply. Then the show is built around this character who's Noel Gordon. And yet the broadcasting authority of the day in the UK calls this show into question, questions the quality of the show and says, we find it distressingly popular. And you just think, wow, you know, clearly this is a show that people are loving because they're watching it in millions of people, 15 million, 19 million at its peak, 15 million people on a regular basis. And you've got the broadcasting authority ordering them to cut back on the number of episodes they make because they find the show distressingly popular. And you just see that snobbery around it. And there are other examples of this in the history of TV where something becomes a success, but for whatever reason, some of the suits or some of the people 
people go, oh, but we didn't want it to be that successful. And of course, this is crazy to sit here in 2023 and talk about this because TV stations now would embrace a show that was as popular as that. But back then when there were only four TV channels, three in in that case in the UK, they could afford to be picky and choosy and they could throw away a hit show because somehow it didn't fit with their values of what they wanted their network to stand for. Yeah. Um, talk about the cast. Uh, uh, Helena Bonham Carter uh, plays Nolly. Yeah. It's, uh, amazing, um, amazing work, isn't it? Yeah. She's, she's quite incredible. And I love the fact that this miniseries does tell what I think is an accurate depiction of her in that she was the star of the show and she had worked behind the scenes. And yes, when they were recording the show, rehearsing the show, she would sometimes take over and change things. But you also have to look at that through a prism of, well, that's because there's a person who cares about the quality of the show and is always wanting to make it better. Um, and it's interesting that that then becomes, oh, she's difficult. And so therefore, when some bright spark decides to revamp the show and let's go after a younger audience, which is always doomed to failure, that type of uh, reasoning around a hit TV show, they decide the way to revamp that show and give it a fresh look is to sack the 62-year-old woman at the centre of the show and then treat her really, really badly and publicly too and then sit there in bemusement as to why they're getting sackloads of mail at the TV station begging them not to let her go. Yeah, I, I, and I'm liking her her more recent work very much. I mean, she was in two seasons of The Crown, yeah. Princess Margaret yes. did a great job and she's just just wonderful in this. Um, the other, I, th- I thought, really notable performance was Mark Gaddis as uh, yeah. Larry Grayson. Yeah. He was, he was, he's really good. There was, there was so many little strands running through that and I thought it was really, really interesting because, you know, there is something about all soap operas in general, that they attract a queer audience, you know, particularly shows that, and in the UK was famous for having really strong female characters. And of course, gay men respond to that. And Crossroads did have this queer following. So she was a queer icon, although nobody really spoke about that at the time. You only realise that in retrospect. But to bring in that character who is a closeted gay celebrity on TV and And there's that moment in it where he says, you know, it's 1981 and he talks about one of the guys that's working at the theatre with him and he says, oh, he he sits there and holds his boyfriend's hand in public. Oh, it's a whole new world out there. And you can see that he's actually quite uncomfortable with that because men of that era that were deeply, deeply closeted just could not, because they'd been brought up with such shame about it, they could not bring them themselves to ever get comfortable about the fact that there would come a time in history where people would be able to be more open with it. And and it makes him deeply comfortable. And I thought that was a fascinating little subplot of it. Yeah. And I quite like the way the um the dateline jumps around a bit. It starts at I think nineteen thirty eight. Yeah. When they were already getting colour TV. In the UK, which didn't happen here, 1972, I think. Well, it was a test. 
first. So okay. what happened was that TV had started in the UK and America right. in the, the mid to late 30s. But, of course, there was a war coming to interrupt it. And John Logie Baird was doing a test broadcast to see he'd invented TV, yeah. invented black and white TV, and he'd done this test broadcast. And he chose a very young Noel Gordon because he wanted a beautiful woman to be on this first test broadcast. So I don't think anyone at home, nobody had a colour TV set to watch it at the time. But it's interesting to look at the history of TV. When the war breaks out in 1939, they take BBC TV off the air. And the same thing happens in America. They go, we can't do this anymore. We've got to fight a war. And then when the war finishes, they start it back up again. And, and then you get this move forward. But that's it's fascinating to think that if had it not been for World War II, we would have had TV, you know, several years earlier. Yeah, yeah. Jumps to 1975 and there's a great scene. They're filming Crossroads in a church and there's 10,000 people <laughs> outside. And the the Crossroads producer, um, what's his, Jack Barton? Jack Barton, his name was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Played by Con O'Neill. Who was so great in Happy Valley, right? Yeah. And just an aside to that, I, I couldn't believe the – People that turned on his character and his married to um, the sister yeah. uh, in that show. And the, yeah. a lot of the audience turned on them. I thought it was might be a little bit unfair, but um, but anyway, that's um, but the, the roles they play, so it's good to see them. He was also in The Batman yes. recently too. I think he yeah. played a police uh, chief or something in that. So he's getting a lot of work. But anyway, the producer comes in and says, look, there's a massive problem. There's 10,000 people outside. What are we going to do? And, because you know, you're just a woman in a little Midlands motel. Why would there be 10,000 people at your wedding? And she says, what's the problem? Yeah, she says, look, take advantage of it, you know, <laughs> film the damn thing, you know. Yeah. It, uh, it'll look great on screen. Then, as you say, goes through to 1981 as it charts the the ups and downs of uh, Nolly's career. Yeah. It's interesting because they, when they fired her and it became a big, big news story in the UK. Do you know how big that news story was? There was more front page coverage and stories written about Noel Gordon getting sacked from Crossroads than there was about the Pope getting shot that year. That's how big a story it was in the UK. And the network, rather than backing down and saying, clearly we've touched a nerve here and the audience doesn't want her to go, they decide to capitalise on it. And the reason they decided to do that was they had just done the Who Shot JR episode in America and that had been big in America. But my God, that was huge in the UK. And they just decided to ride the coattails of that. And you see in Nolly, he actually says, this is our Who Shot JR moment. We are going to kick you out of the show and we're going to get as much publicity as we can. And then we see in the show that she she then spends her time trying to get a dignified exit because, you know, the most jaw-dropping moment in Nolly for me is when the head of the network is being interviewed by here the news on his own network and it's a big story and he's in trouble for sacking his star and he goes, oh, look, I might just drop a Concord on her. She's a 62-year-old woman that has been a mainstay and an icon of the network and that's how they cho chose to treat her on the way out the door. It's just outrageous. 
what struck me watching it was it was filmed like a soap opera, about a soap opera almost. It, it was, yeah. Wasn't it? Which That's I thought very was very clever. Which was fascinating, you know. One of the really interesting things I found researching it is that, you know, there's always this line that people use about soaps. They say they've got wobbly sets. And the truth is that a lot of those sets are actually very well constructed. But what happens in soaps is that people slam doors. And sometimes when they slam a door, the set's solidly built, but you see the wall shake. Hmm. In the case of Crossroads, when it was originally being made in black and white as a daytime soap, it was being filmed in a theatre and the sets were theatre flats. So those walls really did wobble. But then when it moved to the studio, they make more sturdy sets. But that reputation of it having wobbly sets never, ever goes away. People go, it's wobbly. And look, the truth is that in terms of budget, it was a cheaply made show. I, I got onto the ITV website in the UK and they have put up 10 episodes of Crossroads that actually relate to Nolly. So you're able to see that episode when she got married in 1975 and you're able to see the episodes where she leaves the show. And when you watch that, you actually think, yeah, they were making that show on the cheap. But, you know, that's the decision they chose to make. They had a show that was a hit show and rather than going, let's throw more money at this and make it bigger, they just went, well, you've churned it out this way for years and years. Just keep doing it. We're not going to give you any more money. But then, of course, the insult is that when they decide to throw her off the show, they spend all this money to send her off in this kind of big budget way. So it's like a double insult for her because she's going, where was all this money for the last 15 years when we were begging you to give us more money, give us more time to make the show better? Two more quick things on uh, Nolly. Uh, Russell T Davies, the creator, you were a fan of his work. Oh, um, God, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was also interested to know that he actually started writing for some soaps at the very, very, very beginning of his career. And he said as part of publicity for Nolly, he still get asked to this day, will you create a soap for us? And he doesn't want to do that because he he prefers shorter based things. But yes, he understands that. And I think he also really understood the appeal of that show. Being a gay man, he would have watched the show. He would have understood the appeal of the show at the time. And I think if you're making biopics like that, I think it really, really helps to have someone there that understands the material and has a passion about it. I think he worked on Coronation Street. Was yeah. that a movie called Viva Las Vegas? Yes, they would, in the, they, ca- they would do video spin-offs of the UK soaps in the 90s. Right. And they would take a bunch of characters and send them off to Las Vegas. <laughs> Emmerdale came to Australia. Okay. Um, they would do this. And so Russell T Davies uh, wrote one of these spin-off VHS movies. He's worked a lot with uh, Doctor Who, of course, and yeah. um, one of your favourites, Queer as Folk. Queer as Folk. I mean, he brought that show out in 1999 and that was considered extremely daring and groundbreaking for the UK. And then, of course, the Americans adapted it and uh, it became very daring for American TV on Showtime too. So, you know, he's done so much great stuff. And, I mean, you know, his miniseries on Stan that he did a couple of years ago, It's a Sin, which is the first series they've done dealing with uh, AIDS and HIV in the UK is just so, so, so incredible. So, yeah, he's everything he kind of has touched lately has been 
fantastic. And then just the last thing on this, if you like, there's a wave of nostalgia across the UK now. And I know Michael Adardo has been writing this week about Brookside and yeah. that some old episodes of that have been put on a streaming platform and it's just done fantastic business. Yeah, so Brookside was a soap sort of, I think maybe in the late 80s, 90s, and it actually, you know, as with all soaps, you've realised that there are these quite major actors who are in the show that were unknowns back then and Brookside's their big break. And I guess Brookside is a show that maybe had never been repeated before and they put it onto STV, which is the Scottish version of ITV, and it has broken all streaming records. And you know, James, that I've sat here many, many times and said to networks, particularly those networks who are buying 12-month-old episodes of soaps that have screened first on Foxtel and are putting them onto their channels just as cheap filler. And it's like, no, 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 no. Don't buy episodes that are one year old. Nobody wants to watch something from a year ago. But if you buy 20 or 30-year-old episodes of those shows that haven't been seen in years and years and bring with it the whole nostalgia of that era... People want to watch that. And I think Brookside proves that you can bring back a soap on a streaming service that's a, that's very, very, that's quite old and there is an audience for it. Yeah. It was about life in a suburban Liverpool street yeah. in the north of England. Um, 3,000 episodes yeah. uh, between nine, eight, 1982 and 2003. Yeah. And the, the lead actors from the royal family, you remember that show where the family would sit around and Ricky watch TV? Tomlinson, yes. Um, they were in Brookside before the royal family. So when the royal family started, it was like, wow, this show stars these actors from, from Brookside. And Brookside at the time was a fairly daring soap and addressed a lot of issues that weren't being covered in, in some of the other ones at the time. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, let's segue into an Australian drama, Last King of the Cross. Yep. Uh, it's on Paramount+. Plus. The first two episodes have been released as we speak, and I believe the remaining eight will be dropped one a week. One a week, wow. Okay. Now, I mentioned at the start of this episode, there's disclaimers in front of uh, the shows. The one that goes out with uh, Last King of the Cross is very long, and I won't read it all, and it's actually more uh, appropriately called a legal notice, I guess. Uh, it starts, Last King of the Cross is a dramatisation inspired by the best-selling autobiography of John Ibrahim. Several of the characters and events represented throughout the series are fictitious. And then the second part, anybody reporting, previewing, previewing or reviewing Last King of the Cross and materials provided in relation to it, including press kits, blah, 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 uh, should be aware that the series may raise legal questions and it sort of goes on to uh, tell people to note their responsibility to consider legal issues and seek their own legal advice. Uh, as appropriate prior to publishing or broadcasting any material concern, concerning the series. Now I'm too scared to say anything about it, James. <laughs> well, so am I. Well, well, that's all we've got this week. Yeah. Yeah. No, but um, look, I, I enjoyed it. I've, I've got to say, I've watched the first two episodes. First episode, I thought it was a bit, um, a bit up and down. I wasn't sure. By the second episode, though, I was getting into it, and, and I did enjoy it. Um, the thing that you, is, you're reminded of is the 
uh, underbelly season about John Ibrahim. The Golden Mile. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I remember back, I think I liked it and you didn't. Was well, that, was that no, accurate I, or? I didn't mind it. I always, I always have a slight issue with the fact that we're glamorising yeah. crime all the time on Australian TV. We've had how many versions alleged of crime. Underbelly? <laughs> alleged crime, alleged crime, yeah. And it's always just, you know, because there's this tradition in Australia, I think, that goes back to Ned Kelly, where we sort of celebrate um, activity and, and see it Our through the lens of being a rebel. Oh, he's a rebel, you know. No, he shot the police. Oh, yes, but he was a rebel. He you're you know, talking about Ned Kelly. Ned Kelly. Yes. Ned Kelly. Yes, yep, yep. Yep, yeah. Let's get this right. Um, so yeah, and it's funny, I was when I was watching Last King of the Cross, I was trying to think, have I seen this before in The Golden Mile, Underbelly? And and trying to think, oh yeah, I do I do remember this happening. I think this happened in Underbelly, The Golden Mile. But look, I thought that the young guy who was playing a young John Ibrahim, Malik Alconi, was really great. But there was a there was a slight disconnect when he was aged into Lincoln Yowns as a more growing up John Ibrahim because his childhood friends at the time were still being played by those young actors. So it was kind of like, oh, what's happened to your friend? He doesn't seem to have grown up. So it was a little bit clunky. Um, but, you know, in terms of the cast and in terms of the set, my God, that recreation of King's Cross, that entire, the golden mile, so to speak, is all there and shop fronts and, you know, the restaurants and they've, they literally rebuilt King's Cross, James. Yeah, they did. They constructed it out in Western Sydney, I think, and yeah. at amazing expense. I mean, it was reportedly the whole series cost upward of forty million dollars. Um, you know, over what's that? Um, three million an episode plus three million plus an episode. So that must mean that Paramount Plus have grand plans for this show on an international level. This is something as a Paramount Plus original that they must want to send around the world. Um, and, you know, we can sit here and go, we saw this, some of this before in Underbelly, Gold, The Golden Mile, but you could send this now to international markets who've never seen the story and it's all brand new to them. And, of course, you know, you've got Tim Roth in there who's an internationally known name. Lincoln Yowns is quite well known too after, you know, some of the American TV series that he's done, like Grand Hotel. So, you know, there are names in that cast that are recognisable to an overseas audience. Yeah, look, I had a few facts about that, um, the, the, the size of the production. So 350 speaking roles in the season, um, 300 members on the crew, uh, Ibrahim goes through 88 different costume changes <laughs> in the, in the season. Um, they had 60 vintage cars to sort of driving around that, uh, the set, uh, built for, for King's Cross. Uh, it took them 14 weeks to build that, um, with a sort of a, a really, a, a mid-sized army, uh, went in to build that set. Yeah. So that, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Look, there, there is that jump, isn't there? When it, Ibrahim ages, but everybody else stays yeah. the same. Yeah. But once you get past that, yeah. I, I, I thought it was okay. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's setting something up. I You know, I do wonder how they're going to sustain it for 10 hours. That's a long time to tell a story. Um, but there's, there's, the bones of it are there. You can certainly see where that it's, it's got a lot of material that they want to cover. Yeah, I thought the the, the, f 
the the young um the young John Ibrahims do a great job. The I thought the star though of those first two episodes was almost the brother Sam. Yeah. You know, he was good pretty good. It's a Claude Jacor. Yeah. 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 I, I think he did a great job. Um I got to go to the launch of the season um, this week in Sydney, and uh, John Ibrahim turned up. And, um, Did he? Yeah, he got on stage and spoke. You know, wow. so he's really supportive of this project, you yeah. know, um, and and helping it along based on his autobiography, of course. And um, it's just interesting seeing the things he does in those those first two episodes, you know, and it's it's not just a sort of a um, a, a glittery, you know autobiography or, or biography of him that shows some of the gritty things and the, you know, that, you know, things that um, some of the stuff he does, I mean, realising some of it's fictionalised, so I don't know, you know, how much of it is accurately, but there's sort of warts and all, if you like. It's not just painting him as this this sort of angelic sort of uh, figure. When they made Underbelly the Golden Mile, can you remember whether or not John Abraham was a consultant on that, even in an unofficial capacity, or was Underbelly completely unauthorised, which now gives them, you know, an opportunity to make Last King of the Cross and go, oh, well, this is the authorised version because this is based on John Abraham's book rather than Underbelly that was based on some other source material not written by John Abraham. Yeah, no, not um, – I can't remember. I can't remember. I, I would Although guess I get, he didn't, I, but he was sort of vaguely supportive. That's of what I think. I think that he was there in this unofficial capacity that he helped the actor playing him and – Ferez Durrani. yes. And I, I think that it was, he was looking over it in an unofficial sense, yes. Yeah. And, I, and by the way, I think if you remember, every time there's an Underbelly series, we get a legal disclaimer like that. Be very – you know, one series of Underbelly famously didn't screen in for Victoria for years and yeah. years, did it, yeah. because of ongoing legal issues. Absolutely. And we don't want to contribute, <laughs> contribute to that, um, that piece of history. But um, – Callan Mulvey's in this. Um, God, he's so good, isn't it? I know. He doesn't have a lot to do in that uh, second episode, I think, he's mainly, and he's in probably the first two, but I get the feeling he'll, he's going to take do a on lot a more. Bit, yeah, he'll, he'll turn up a bit more, but, yeah, look, he, he's a favourite of mine. Um, Matt Nable's in it. Um, he, he's, he's a sort of a, a fixer, if you like, for, for works for Tim Roth, yep. who is a fictionalised Mr. Big, if you yep. like. He's a yep. compile, I think, of, of several different real-life so, characters. Yeah. Um, um, so he's great as well. Uh, Damien Walsh howling. Look, I'll watch anything he turns up in. <laughs> he can be such a menacing presence, can't he? Yeah. O- on the screen. I-, I just love his work. But so's Matt Nable in a way. Matt yeah. Nable's so versatile because Matt Nable can go from playing a good guy, play a cop, yeah. to suddenly switching over, give himself a number one, and suddenly he's a bad guy and very, very scary. He, he- he's able to be so- a solid good guy or a guy that'll Snap your neck. (laughs) (laughs) Allegedly. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You mentioned before about international plans. I think Sky has bought it for the UK. Wow, okay. And across the territories therein in Europe. Um, Cineflix is the distribution partner. I think they put some money into it. And so they've been, you know, they put money in up front. They were convinced it's the first production from Mark Fennessy, of course. Yeah. Since he went out with his own production company, Helium. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I, there hasn't been a deal for North America yet, but Paramount executives were there inter, from international uh, at the launch this week. So I'm guessing there's quite a bit of interest. So we might stand by for, for it to perhaps appear on Paramount Plus in some other markets, maybe even North America. I'm not sure about that. Yeah. I mean, it, it feels like it's going to be a, a one season thing, right? It's yeah. not something that you could go, gee, it did well. We can rip up another series of this because there won't be any more story to tell, I would imagine, after 10 hours. I think we'll get the, all of it in one sitting. Yeah. It's just, fa- it'd be fascinating to see if 10 actually, if, if Paramount give it to 10 later in its life. Yeah. Apparently there's no plan for that at the moment. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it did turn up there eventually, maybe with some uh, clever editing perhaps. Well, we've seen that happen with five bedrooms and we've seen that happen with spreadsheet. Um, and, and I think that, you know, if you like Aussie drama and you don't want to wait a couple of years, you know, but it, you, we, we, I think it's interesting. We see so many series that are streaming somewhere exclusively and then all of a sudden without any warning they pop up on you know free to air tv and you go hang on a second that's uh that's a, a stan original and then there it is or not a stan original but screened on stan yeah so there is that crossover so free to air tv viewers who don't have any streaming services do see some of these shows but sometimes they have to wait a fair while to see it yeah um last king of the cross i it's obviously a big play by Paramount Plus. I think it's worth a subscription. I think it's that good. Well, it promises to be that good. I mean, yeah. okay, I can't vouch for the remaining eight episodes, but they're putting a lot of care into it. I've, I've watched a lot of Mark Fantasy shows in the past. He usually delivers a good product. So I think it will draw people to the platform. Yeah. The jury's still out a little bit for me after two hours. It's impressive. But as I say, I, I sometimes have a sense watching this, it's like, what am I going to get from this? I know the story. Um, I lived in King's Cross you through, when some of this was going over and it's like I stepped over junkies in the street. I had a you know, a sex worker, every morning when I went to work, she would be standing outside the news agency and she was, you know, not young. And every morning at like 7.30 in the morning, as I'd walk past her, she'd say, are you looking for company? And finally one day I just had to say to her, do I look like I'm looking for company? I'm going to work. It's it's crazy. So, you know, I, I'm very aware of King's Cross and I do sometimes get a sense like – I hope we're going somewhere with this that isn't just more of the same, which we I think we've seen in so many of these shows. Am I going to keep watching it? Yes. Um, but I'm just waiting to see where we go with the next eight episodes. Yeah. And just finishing maybe on this, the I think it's it's interesting that uh the owner of a free-to-air network has commissioned this. But I think these sort of shows need to be on free-to-air as well. Yeah. You know, if free-to-air, and we've talked about this before, if they just exit this sort of high-quality drama, mm. they're just handing over their customers to streaming services, you know. There's just – and we've talked before about the commitment of the reality TV. You've got – if you sign on, you're on for, you know, eight, ten hours a week. Yeah. Right, to follow their shows. 
if that audience don't sign on for that, you've lost them because yeah. there's nothing, there's no alternatives. It's all reality and that's it. So I think it's important that these offerings are there, even if they don't draw massive crowds, to give to give the audience the impressions that these free-to-air channels do offer a variety of uh, content. And we know that Last King of the Cross would, would rate on free-to-air TV. Yeah. You know, there hasn't been a single Australian true crime story that hasn't, you know, worked. So we, we know that it's a ratings grabber. I mean, I don't know, is, is the model for the future, I mean, you could do possibly two versions of Last King of the Cross, couldn't you? You could do a network version of it and then you could say if you want to see the uncut, uncensored, extra version of this show, here it is on streaming. You know, that was a strategy used by DVD, wasn't it, for years and years. It's a, here's the unrated version. It might have 30 seconds extra of footage yeah. um, that might that's considered a bit racy. But yeah, you could you could Yeah, I think you'd always have to premiere it though on the streaming because that way otherwise if you can watch it on free to wear. Yeah. You're really going to get the streaming sign-ups, I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah. Perhaps, you know, you could advertise it when it goes on to streaming as uncensored and uncut, any, just regardless. Yeah, true. Know, that, that, that wouldn't stop you doing yeah. that. All right, so there, look, there's two shows. Now, look, I'm throwing this one at you. I have you, no advance warning. So I think we're going to have a program of the week from now on. Okay. okay. All right. So we've had two episodes. We might visit them retrospectively next time and pick a show yep. to, for the person for the show of the week. But this week, what is your show of the week? Um, I've been watching Kunk on Earth on Netflix. Well, it can be one of the ones we've discussed. Oh, too, it can so be. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, no. Look, my show of the week is Nolly. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm I'm absolutely obsessed with it. I've watched it twice. I'm going to watch it again. There's so much going on in it. It's one of those shows that just speaks to me so much. And it's I've just spent I've spent hours and hours online reading up about it and and looking into it and learning so much because there's you know there's it's it was this it's this whole chapter of british tv history that i never knew about and when when i discover something that i think wow how did i not know about this how could something have been this big you know how could this woman have been so big on tv that she won the award for the most popular woman on TV every year, that they created a Hall of Fame award for her just to get her out of the competition so that someone else could win an award. How did I not know that? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I love learning about TV history through a show so like it's Nolly. Nolly for you. Nolly, yeah. I'm going to go Last King of the Cross. Look, I enjoyed them both, but for me it's just a bit more exciting that that what it the potential it's it's shown what you know what it's what it's meant for the industry here and all that. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to go Last King of the Cross. But look, both shows worthy of your time. Yeah, look, yeah. that's been uh, Mercado and Manning. Thanks for listening. Um, you find us on all the uh, major podcast platforms. Tell your friends, please like and follow the program. We'll be back again soon. Thank you, James. <laughs>